Well, good morning, church. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. As we uh, continue on our worship and dig into the word, let's take a few moments to bow in prayer together. Um, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can gather to worship the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. Lord, what a wonderful celebration, even this morning as a church family, as we got to celebrate uh, Malachi's baptism here today and his salvation in Jesus as his Savior and his Lord. Father, as we transition to our worship in the word, our prayer is that your spirit would open our hearts and minds to the truths that you would have for us. We pray, Lord, not just that the word would take root, but it would bear fruit unto righteousness. Father, what we know not this morning, teach us. What we have not, give us, and who we are not in Christ. We ask that you'd make us, and we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, There's a pastor by the name of Kyle Eidelman who shares a story about a father of a prodigal daughter who approached him after service one morning, and he began to share with the pastor, the father, how his daughter was raised in the church But after attending college and returning home, she didn't want anything to do with it. The father then talked to the pastor and was asking him not how, for an explanation for how this could possibly happen as this pastor had been asked on numerous occasions. But the father began to explain what he believed went wrong and this is what he had to say. We had raised her in church, but we did not raise her in Christ. We substituted a checklist of rules in place of a relationship with Jesus. She knew expectations. She knew what it meant to be a good girl who was well-behaved and had good manners. We raised her in church, but we did not raise her in Christ. And what this father was basically sharing is that he had raised, along with uh, his wife, his daughter, with religion, but never introduced her to a relationship with Jesus. And what I want to take some time to talk about this morning is how we can guard against prioritizing religion or religious activity in such a way that our relationship with Jesus either suffers or is non-existent altogether. We're continuing through the letter of Galatians where I invite you in your Bibles together. And the manner in which we're going to talk about that is by prioritizing the one true gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul is defending in this letter. As you make your way there in your Bibles, I've entitled this morning's message, The Origin of the Gospel, as Paul, in his defense of the gospel, is going to prove that the gospel is divine and not human in origin. You see, Paul is writing to churches throughout the region of Galatia. Uh, The reason he needs to defend the one true gospel is because false teachers have arisen in the churches. Many of the churches he had actually originally planted, and they were both attacking Paul's authority as an apostle and the message that he proclaimed. These false teachers were professing believers. They would tell you they had faith in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, and so they were not teaching that faith in Jesus was not important. They were teaching that faith in Jesus was not enough. They were saying, if you were a Gentile, not only did you have to place your faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, but you also had to become a Jew. You had to become circumcised. You had to submit to the Mosaic law, including the ceremonial laws when it came to the observance of certain days and dietary restrictions. And they so they were 
presenting a false gospel. And Paul writes to defend the one true gospel of Jesus Christ in this letter, which, is by, which declares that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that there is no other gospel. Well, as he continues his defense this morning in our text, Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24, he's going to prove that the good news of the gospel, which he preached and proclaimed and continues to, is divine and not human in origin. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word of God together? Galatians 1 beginning in verse 11 and reading to verse 24. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. What Paul is doing in our text is he's continuing to defend the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that there is no other gospel. As Paul continues that defense, as we've already said, he's in our text this morning is going to prove that the gospel is divine and not human in origin. Because if it's divine and not human in origin, then it's trustworthy and true. And the original gospel, the true gospel which he had preached to them, is the gospel that they should return to as they continue to grow in their faith in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. So how does Paul prove the origin of the gospel? We'll see a few things that will guide us in our study this morning. First, we're going to consider Paul's argument in verses 11 to 12. Paul's testimony in verses 13 to 17, and then Paul's ministry in verses 18 to 24. Let's begin in verses 11 to 12, and Paul first, we get to see his argument proves that the gospel is divine and not human in origin. Paul begins by introducing the argument or his teaching in regards, in, in regards to the origin of the gospel, and he says, but I make known to you, brethren... Whenever Paul uses this statement, and this, it's almost like a formula he's using in order to introduce something as very important that he's about to say. And so when Paul says, but I make known to you, brethren, he's basically saying, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. 
Your ears should perk up as the readers and say, Paul, what do you want to talk about with us? And the reason Paul introduces it as important is because what, uh, how you understand the gospel matters. And getting the gospel right matters. And the reason is because what's at stake is a difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. If you don't get the gospel right, ultimately, you may spend an eternity without God and his people forever and ever, or you may spend an eternity with God and his people forever and ever. It all depends on getting the gospel right. And so Paul begins by introducing the origin of the gospel by saying this is important, but I want to make known to you, brethren. And so not only does he introduce it as important, he also introduces it as that which is motivated by love. And he does that by calling them brethren. As Paul says, I, but I make known to you brethren, he's reminding them that he, along with they, are fellow recipients of the same grace and peace he had originally greeted them with back in verses 3 to 5. Do you remember in verses 3 to 5 in his greeting, he declared a blessing over them that summed up the content of the gospel. And he said in verse 3, grace to you and peace. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And so when Paul calls them brethren, as Paul calls the readers brethren, as we are readers of this text, we are reminded, like him, we are recipients of God's amazing grace. We are recipients of his unmerited Favor. Apart from good deeds, we have received salvation. We are recipients of his peace. Not just peace with God, but the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And we, along with Paul, are recipients of the benefits that come with the finished work of Christ on the cross. And Paul reminds them with this title, brethren. It's motivated by love. And I want you to know that Paul loves these believers so much that he wants them to get the gospel right. My prayer is that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ so much that your desire is not that only that you would get the gospel right, but that they would get the gospel right. That you would so love your children or your children's children or anyone that you have an, an opportunity to be a spiritual influence in their life that you would love them enough in order to help them get the gospel right by talking to them about what the Bible has to say about salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so Paul introduces this origin of the gospel that's divine and not human in origin as important and that which is motivated by love. And then he gives us the argument in verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. What Paul is basically arguing here is I preached the gospel, but I didn't invent the gospel. What Paul is saying here is, I preach the gospel, but it's not a product of my own imagination. It's not according to man. In the words of John Piper, he said, it did not come from Paul's head. It came from God's heart. I want you to think about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it is distinct from every other false religion all throughout history. 
Take a moment to consider the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that declares that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and compare it to every Christian cult who has taken away or added to the finished work of Christ on the cross, and you will see the difference between religion that is man-made and religion that finds its source in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Every other religion in the world that is man-made would tell you to receive God's favor, you have to do, do, do. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to obey a checklist of rules. But when it comes to receiving the favor of God in Scripture, in accordance with the good news of the gospel, it's received according to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Jesus doesn't say, do, do, do. He says, it's already been finished to telestai, done. And that's what distinguishes the good news of the gospel from every other religion. And so what we're reminded is that this morning, Paul did not invent the gospel. It's not according to man. And Paul said, I couldn't even think up the gospel because it's so incredible. In man's mind, it doesn't make sense that God would provide a free gift of salvation when you think about it, when you think about the good news, the story of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on our behalf, the love story, we're reminded that the hero of the story dies for the villains, and the villains are you and me. What an incredible gospel that we have received in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And Paul declares it is not according to man. I preached it, but I certainly did not invented but he received it directly from the person of jesus christ when he was confronted on the road to damascus what proof does he provide in terms of his argument first he says for i did not receive it from man nor was i taught by man when paul says i didn't receive it from man paul is saying the gospel is not only not a man-made invention but it's not a man-made tradition it wasn't passed down from generations to generations to Paul, but it was see, received directly from the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not a man-made tradition in regards to repeated information that was given to others and then given to Paul. Paul did not first consult the uh, 12 apostles minus Judas plus Matthias in order to get the good news of the gospel himself. No, he got it by direct re revelation of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here, it's not a man-made invention. It's not man-made in regards to tradition. It is a God-given revelation directly from the person and of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is doing here is he's defending his authority as an apostle. Why does he have to do that? Because to defend his authority is to defend the one true gospel of Jesus that he had originally received and that he had declared to many of these churches that he had originally planted. When you read the book of Acts in chapter 14 and 15 during his first missionary journey, Paul had a heart for these churches. He planted churches in places like Lystra and Iconium and Derbe, and now they have been led astray by these false teachers. And he says, I want you to get the gospel right because it's an issue of a difference between spiritual life and death. This morning, in light of these first two verses, that remind us that Paul's argument proves the gospel is divine and not human in origin. 
Our invitation is to get the gospel right. Get the gospel right. And the manner in which we can get the gospel right is getting to know the word of God and what it has to say about the good news of the gospel. A text that we talked about last time that we'll go back to throughout this study is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need to get to know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And memorize scriptures like that. Consider the good news of the gospel and what it is when you read texts like 1 Corinthians 15. And what we learn about the gospel, it's the good news that Jesus came from heaven to earth, died, was buried, and three days later rose in newness of life, offering salvation as a free gift to anyone who would receive him as Savior and as Lord. The manner in which you get the gospel right is getting to know the word of God. Secondly, in order to get the gospel right, you have to get to know the God of the word. My prayer this morning is that you wouldn't just hear the word preached and proclaimed or read the word in a devotional time during the week, but that you would walk away having drawn your heart closer to the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you read his word, that you would grow in your faith in Jesus, that you would be reminded that he's faithful and true and that he will never leave you nor forsake you as you get to know the word of God, get to know the God of the word, and then you so appreciate scriptures that perhaps some of us have heard ever since we were children, for God so loved the world, and we're reminded, for God so loved me, God loves you. And the Bible said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Do you know the God of the word? Because it changes everything. It affects how you start your day. It affects your attitude in regards to uh, your day. It affects your relationships with other people. You know, I think of this time of the year and when I think of getting to know the God of the word, as I take a look at the beauty of creation and this season, it's fall. You get to just look at the beauty of God's creation and give thanks to the God of the word who's the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. God didn't just give us salvation to be enjoyed. He given us creation to see his handiwork at work. You know, yesterday we... Uh, with our family yesterday afternoon we went out to Alton Baker Park and the the leaves were a little bit wet but that didn't stop our kids from running through them picking them up and throwing them in the air there was one tree there that still had all the leaves and we began to shake it as the leaves began to fall and we got to enjoy the creation of our God don't just get to know the word of God get to know the God of the word and then thirdly get the gospel right by means of abandoning any kind of works-based righteousness, any kind of works-based salvation. You know, in a church our size, there is a real reality that there are some who have attended church for many years 
who have participated in the ordinances of the church, maybe been baptized or uh, when it comes to the Lord's table have participated in that. Folks who have become members or served many years. But if you have religious activity, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you've missed the point of the gospel. For religion to have any value or worth, it must be grounded in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who is our Savior and our Lord. And out of that relationship comes the fruit that we'll, we will see when we're following Jesus and serving him. This morning, you can offer nothing in regards to your salvation. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, not by human effort. Abandon any pursuit of trying to earn the favor of God when it comes to salvation. You can receive it based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so if you've been in bondage to a works-based salvation this morning, the gospel of freedom is being declared to you. You are being invited to trust in Jesus, knowing that he died on your behalf, took your punishment to forgive your sins and grant you everlasting life. And so we began with Paul's argument proves that the gospel is divine and not human in origin. Secondly, Paul's testimony proves that the gospel is divine and not human in origin. And that means it's trustworthy and true. Paul says it's not a man-made invention. It's not a man-made tradition. It's God-given revelation. And he says my testimony proves it. But not only is Paul going to share with us that Jesus told this to him directly, but he's going to prove it by the fact of the transformation that was brought to his life. Paul is going to share with us that he was so lost so misguided, thinking he was serving God and pleasing him by seeking to wipe out the cancer of Christianity as he thought of it in his mind. But only the gospel of the true gospel of Jesus Christ could change his life around. Transform this man from a persecutor to a preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul begins in his testimony by declaring his life before his conversion. He says this in verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Paul says, you are all aware, whether you're a church that I had planted or a church that uh, I had visited or a church that had just heard about me, you have known my reputation regarding my conduct in Judaism. And what Paul says in verse 13, I was known as a persecutor of the church. Paul did not just persecute the church. The text goes on to say how I persecuted the church beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Paul, as I said, saw Christianity as such a cancer. In order to purify Judaism of this cancer, he was willing to go to houses being, being given the authority by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to arrest Christians all around, deliver them to the authorities, and many, if not, some, if not many, were put to death. Let me read to you that in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Now Saul was consenting to his death. This is speaking of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. 
At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, if you ever have a chance to read Acts, the book of Acts, a great outline for the book is Acts 1.8. There it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So as the book of Acts unfolds, the gospel in the first seven chapters are in Jerusalem. And then it's going to break out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the known Roman world at that time. But in order for Acts 1-8 to come to pass, Acts 8-1 had to happen. And you know what pushed the Christians in Jerusalem out? Do you think they had a, such a heart for missions that they said, hey, we're going to go to the region of Galatia. We're going to go to the region of, of Cilicia. We're going to go to this region or that region. No, what pushed them out was persecution. And that persecution drove them, including the persecution accomplished by the, the Apostle Paul or who would become the Apostle Paul. And it says in verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over them. Verse 3 of chapter 8 of Acts. As for Saul, he made havoc in the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. You talk about a misguided Pharisee. There you have it. A man who thought he was serving God when the reality, he was not just persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus on the road to Damascus told him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because to mess with my church is to mess with me. You know what Saul deserved? He deserved judgment, eternal judgment at that. But as we're going to see in a moment, he became a recipient of God's amazing grace. And only the gospel that is divine and not human in origin can change a life like Paul's. In Acts 26, 9 through 11, we, we see how he persecuted beyond measure. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul so misguided. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And, they, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul said, I didn't just drag them away and deliver them over to the Jewish authorities. When they were put to death, I voted uh, in favor of it. And then he said in verse 11, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, being exceedingly enraged, enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I want you to think about this for a moment. If there was a guy like Paul who is wreaking havoc in churches today, this is a man that we would say, Lord, judge him. Lord, do something. Protect us. Provide some kind of relief. This man is a wicked man. He thinks he's serving you, and the reality is he's persecuting you and the church, your body and so Paul says, my reputation was as a persecutor who persecuted the church beyond measure, and his ultimate goal was to wipe it all out completely, to completely destroy the church of Jesus Christ. But Paul not only describes his, his, his persecution, he describes his passion to destroy the church. In verse 14, he says, and I advanced in Judaism 
beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. Not only was he misguided, but so were many of the religious leaders and the religious authorities. These were individuals who were blinded by their legalism, thought they were pleasing God when the reality was their heart was so far from God so that when the Messiah actually showed up, instead of surrendering to him, submitting to him, and worshiping him, they crucified him on a cross. And the text goes on to say, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. In other words, I was the most misguided one among them. I was the Pharisee who was persecuting the most. And he says, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul said he's so misguided that with great with being zealous and passion, with great passion, he persecuted the church beyond measure in order to completely destroy it. Paul says, that was my life. Let me ask you this. What could change a man like that? What could transform someone like counseling maybe? You know, maybe if we educate him a little bit, that might change his, 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 uh, his passions and his desires. Only the good news of the gospel could change and transform a man like that. And what we learn here in the text is Paul had a but God moment. One of the most incredible words is this conjunction of contrast. Paul was a persecutor. Paul was a passionate persecutor. And then the text says in verse 15, but when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Paul was a persecutor, but he became a preacher. Why? Because of God's intervention. I want you to notice back in verse 13 and 14, he uses the word I. I persecuted the church of God. Verse 14, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. But then we turn to verses 15 to 17, and it says God. It pleased God to reveal his son to me. God separated me from my mother's womb. God called me through his grace. God called me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Who is the one who brings Paul to salvation? Who is the one who brings you and I to salvation? It's a sovereign work of God. First, let me talk about the first one. It says, God separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. I want to, us to think about this for a moment because it wasn't that Jesus, as he's been watching the havoc that Paul is causing within the church, that he comes to the conclusion as he's on the road to Damascus, you know what, I have a pretty good idea here. I think this is what I'm going to do. I am going to confront him on the road to Damascus, change his life in order that he might follow me and turn from persecutor to preacher. And God did not, you know, it wasn't a surprise idea in his mind, but Paul says, before I was even born, God set me apart for his purposes. God set me apart in order to save me. And we're reminded that salvation is a sovereign work of God as God provides Paul his grace. What did Paul, what did Paul do in order to deserve this? Nothing. Paul didn't deserve that. He deserved judgment. When God doesn't give you what you deserve, that's mercy. When you get what you don't deserve, that's grace. 
And what God did for Paul is he set him apart even before he was even born. Secondly, in our text, if I just want to highlight this, God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. God was pleased to reveal his son to Paul. In other words, some of the Christians may have not been so pleased when they heard that this persecutor of the church who possibly dragged away some of the fellow members of their church or dragged away some of their family members was now a believer in Jesus Christ. I would put out my finger, that's a wicked man. He doesn't deserve to uh, be saved, let alone become a preacher of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, but neither do we. And then you realize that not only was Paul forgiven and commissioned, so are we, by God's grace, forgiven and commissioned. Maybe not to be an apostle, but commissioned to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Jesus says that I've taught you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And so he says, it pleased God, and then it says, it pleased God that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Let me remind you who Paul was before he was changed. In trend. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This was a man, if he was like those Jewish leaders who hated Gentiles, You know how the Jewish leaders saw the Gentile? They saw them as dirty dogs. These were dirty dogs full of all kinds of disease that to even touch one of those filthy dogs was in order to to contract the disease that they had. And so they wanted nothing to do with these folks. What an amazing gospel that Jesus has given Paul that it transforms his life to say that he's going to not just be an apostle, but an apostle who preaches the gospel to those dirty dog Gentiles. Only the good news of the gospel could change a life like that. And only the good news of the gospel that is divine and not human in origin could transform and change your life and my life and not only call us to be forgiven, but to call us to be commissioned to share Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so we get to hear about how God saved Paul. And then we get to hear about his life after his conversion as we continue to read in, in uh, verse 16, to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul says, after Jesus confronted me on the road to Damascus, After Jesus knocked me to the ground and caused me to become blind, and then Ananias was given direction to let me know what I would, uh, what I would, what I would ultimately uh, do next. Uh, I did not go to the apostles to hear the gospel that they had already been given. Paul is saying, I did not receive this gospel from the other twelve. Minus Judas plus Matthias, I received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is arguing for the authority of his apostleship. He said, I did not go to Jerusalem 
to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And in the next verse, we'll see he did that for three years. What, what is Paul arguing here? The gospel is divine and not human in origin. When he's defending his authority as an apostle, he's saying this gospel is the one true gospel and I've been given the authority not from man but directly from God and so this gospel that I preached and proclaimed to you and continue to preach and proclaim to you, the invitation is to believe it, it's trustworthy and it's true and to disbelieve it, to be led astray by these false teachers who would add anything to the finished work of Christ on the cross or take away anything from the finished work of Christ on the cross. What's at stake is your eternal destiny. It's a difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. What are we reminded in these verses? Paul's testimony proves that the gospel is divine and not human in origin. Only the good news of the gospel, the one true gospel, could change Paul's life, and only the one true gospel can change your life, and the one true gospel can change my life. And those who are lost, who are in chains to their sin, only the good news of the gospel can set them free, the gospel of mercy and grace through the finished work of Christ on the cross. What is our takeaway this morning? Get the gospel right. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when you get the gospel right, you are reminded that the gospel transformation begins with a broken life. You can't experience the transformation that Jesus will bring to your life as he brought transformation to Paul's life, providing him forgiveness and the promise of everlasting life if you don't first admit your brokenness before God or your life before Christ entered into it. For Paul, he transformed him from persecutor to preacher. What did God do for you? How has God worked in your life prior to conversion? And how has he changed you? How has he forgiven you? How has he commissioned you to use the ministry he's given you to share Jesus with as many people as possible? Gospel transformation begins with a broken life. Secondly, gospel transformation is about God's sovereignty over providing us faith and giving us the gift of grace. As Paul's testimony was shared, I was a persecutor. I was passionately persecuting the church. And then Paul says, God set me apart before I was born in my mother's womb. You can share that in your testimony as well. God set you apart before you were even born to be his. You can declare the sovereignty of God over your salvation. You may not be able to understand it fully or see it fully, but know that your salvation is a sovereign work of God in your life. And then gospel transformation doesn't require, just require the sovereignty of God over our salvation in providing us the free gift of salvation that we can give nothing to, but it also results in obedience to his word. Now, when it comes to works, they will not save you, but they will not fail to be produced in a, in, in a life that has been genuinely transformed. 
As we have gone back to, and we will go back to again, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 10 tells us that he doesn't just provide us saving grace, but enabling grace. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, or his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Gospel transformation will give evidence to the fruit of our faith. And what is the fruit of our faith? Jesus said in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The question is, if you've been so transformed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why aren't you sharing it with anybody and everybody around you? If this is truly good news that has set you free, the gospel of freedom that sets you free, shouldn't you be declaring it to the ends of the earth? And as you get the gospel right, I want to remind you of this last thing. Gospel transformation is available even to the worst of sinners like you and like me. What the gospel of freedom did for Paul, the gospel of freedom can do for you and can do for me. No matter how lost you may be, no matter how burdened you may be, no matter how broken you may be, because you recognize the depth of your depravity and the desperation of your need for Jesus because we're deserving of wrath, we're deserving of judgment, and yet we are not beyond his mercy. We are not beyond his grace, and this morning we are invited to experience freedom in Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. If you haven't trusted in Christ this morning, the invitation is to come and enjoy the freedom of God's gospel, the freedom of God's amazing grace. If you've been burdened and been in shackles to uh, the, the burdened by the, the prison, imprisonment of, of legalism, thinking that you've got to earn the favor of God in order to get to heaven, find Freedom in the gospel of grace that he offers. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so we began, as Paul defends the gospel, his argument proves the gospel is divine and not human in origin. His testimony and the transformation that came to his life proves that the gospel is divine and not human in origin. And lastly, his ministry proves it as well. The transformation that was brought to his life from persecutor to preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's wrap up our text beginning in verse 17. It says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. What does his ministry look like after? It says, well, he went to the apostle Peter and he talked with him. But he only talked with him for 15 days. It says he got to see him. You can hardly find yourself getting what uh, Paul received from Jesus Christ directly from Peter here. And so Paul is continuing to defend his case. And, and he stayed with him for 15 days. Verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And then Paul, because he needs to emphasize this because of all these false teachers who have been attacking his authority, all these false teachers who have been attacking the one true gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says this, now concerning the things that I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Paul wants you to know he's telling the truth. And he needs to emphasize that because the attacks are ongoing. The gospel was attacked back then, and the gospel continues to be attacked today. We need 
to have our eyes wide open and exercise discernment, being reminded that salvation, as we said it again and again and will continue to, is by grace alone, by the unmerited favor of God, by faith alone, apart from human effort and apart from human works in Christ alone. As you place your faith in Jesus, that is what provides us the salvation that God gives each one of us. And so be discerning. The text, could, the text um, continues on uh, um, in verse 21. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So transformed by the gospel, he's preaching it. And I was unknown by the face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So the churches in Judea, they didn't know Paul's face, but they knew Paul's testimony. They had not seen Paul personally, but they had heard of the transforming work of Jesus Christ accomplished in his life. And it says, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. This morning, I'd like to invite us to hear the testimony of faith of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you get to hear their testimony, give all glory, honor, and praise to Jesus. This morning, I'd invite you, if you haven't, to write down your own testimony of how God has and continues to work in your life and to transform your life. Write about your conversion, write about your life before your conversion. Write about your life when you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, and then record what God has been doing in your life ever since. You know, when it comes to our testimonies at times, for some, you would say, yeah, my testimony's pretty powerful, kind of like Paul's here. I mean, his life was completely turned upside down. But others would say, and sometimes I hear this, they say, uh, my, my testimony's boring. <laughs> my testimony isn't powerful like theirs. You miss just how powerful your testimony really is. And when you talk to those who have come to faith later in life, they will tell you, boy, do you have a blessed testimony because my desire and my heart would be that I would be saved at an early age and delivered not just from sin, but the consequences that my sin has brought to my life throughout my life. You know, sometimes as believers who have come to faith earlier in life, you, you fail to see all of the consequences of sin that would have been there if you hadn't been on the right path. And as you get an opportunity to look back, you can say, thank you, God, for watching my back. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace. And no matter how many years you've been following Jesus, you can testify of how he continues to give you grace upon grace and an abundance of his mercy, love, and kindness and continues, although we fall short and miss the mark again and again, continue to use us to take the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. This morning, the invitation is to get the gospel right. And if you get the gospel right, you're going to know the good news of Jesus, receive him as your Savior and Lord, and then share him with as many people as possible. If there was one takeaway this morning, my prayer is that you would do this, write out your testimony. Maybe you've done it before, but I want you to write out your testimony today, later this week. Have a two to five minute testimony prepared and you will be surprised at how quickly God will use that to minister his grace and the gospel of freedom to somebody in your life as you have an opportunity to share it 
with them. You know, it reminds me of a woman in the church who was asked by her pastor, and he said, what do you believe? And she said, well, I believe what the church believes. Well, he said, well, what does the church believe? He, she says, well, the church believes what I believe. He then went on to say, well, what does the church and you believe? Well, we believe the same thing. <laughs> when it comes to your faith, my prayer is you can articulate it, that you can articulate the good news of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. He came to die on the cross for guilty sinners, was buried three days, rose in newness of life, and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who would receive him. Can we pray this morning? Father, our prayer this morning is that we would get the gospel right. Our prayer is that our faith in you would be genuine. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would have a hunger and thirst for the word of God and therefore a hunger and thirst for the God of the word. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus, who finds themselves in bondage to legalism or in bondage to false religion or finds themselves still in bondage to their sin and the consequences thereof, but knows the good news of the gospel is a declaration of freedom to anyone who will place their faith and trust in Jesus. And I pray that those who are ready to receive it can say this, Father, I recognize my desperate need for Jesus. Me and God are not in a right relationship. My sin separates me from you. But Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to come from heaven to earth, to die on the cross, to take my place, to forgive my sin, and to grant me not just forgiveness, but everlasting life. Today, I confess Jesus as my Savior, the one who forgives my sin, my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life. Father, I don't just want to get the gospel right for myself. I want to share it with as many people as possible. Thank you, Father, for your word. May it continue to guide and direct our steps. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.